Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Entrepreneurs. This is episode number 64. In this episode, I spoke with Bianca Rangecroft, the founder and CEO of Wearing, a circular fashion app that allows you to digitize your wardrobe using data and AI to suggest new outfits from the clothes you already own. We spoke about some amazing things such as how you can start an AI-powered tech company with no technical background and bootstrapped while still generating user growth like what Bianca has exactly done herself, leaving her career in banking to do this. And also the importance of attracting users early with certain business models. I know a lot of you guys want to start a business uh, which depends massively on a critical mass of users. And so, yeah, this this episode is really important for you. Rather than obviously monetizing too too early and most importantly, at what stage when you have attracted those, those users, so more and more users are coming in, do you turn that monetization switch on? That's a very important stage in your business. And also how you can attract users onto your platform or business while being bootstrapped and having very limited budgets. Bianca's generated huge growth from these alternative cost-effective marketing strategies. And so I think, you know, for any business, whether you're in circular fashion, whether you're in, you know, any sort of tech business, this would be massively beneficial to you. I personally, with Wing, have taken a few pointers from her that I'll be implementing for sure. So that brings me to this week's shout out. So we haven't done a shout out for a few weeks because I've been helping you guys with your applications to apply to the competition, the pitch. Uh, but we're back with the shout outs now. So the shout out this week goes to Jerome Cortu, who says, awesome source of inspiration. If you're a young entrepreneur kicking the tires, listen to this podcast. Cena interviews a great selection of guests on The Millennial Entrepreneur and most episodes you'll listen to will at least teach you one little wisdom that you can take away from your business or business plans. Thank you so much for that, Jerome. That means so much to me. If you also want to feature next week's episode in the form of a shout out, please be sure to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. And as a thank you, I'll give you a shout out in the next episode. Thanks so much for listening again and enjoy the episode. Hey, Bianca, how are you? Hey, good to see you, finally. I know, I know, because I mean... Uh, yeah, I'll just say because your your laptop was uh, you were under a lot of stress. <laughs> we had to like rearrange a few times because like you had massive technical issues. Thanks so much. Yeah, I'll let you. I'll let you explain <laughs> it. Basically, I was on a flight back from Beirut and I spilt water all over my brand new laptop um, that I had heavily invested in as part of being a founder and like you know good tech make, makes I guess good uh, tech people. Um, and so I was absolutely uh, devastated. Of course, the latter is not true, but you know what I mean. <laughs> it's the worst thing. Like, yeah. So how much water spilled on your, on your laptop? It was literally not was even that much. Um, really? Devastated when I got to the Apple store. Because like, I know they're quite tricky about like you not trying to like take it to a shop near you. Um, so yeah, it was a massive gamble, but it didn't pay off. They were just like, yep, got to, you know, chuck some more money at it and repair it. So yeah. No, that's so unlucky, especially because like we had this podcast and you had the like and you had like you're going through like obviously raising money as well now so it's like probably the worst time for this sort of thing to happen yeah no absolutely I was literally lost for words like I had all these amazing meetings lined up pitch decks like all these supporting materials and now yeah just gonna have to make do with my old 10 year old laptop for the next 10 days That is annoying. Um, like I before we hit record, I mentioned how actually the very this is this is quite a story. The very first time I went to record my podcast, so this is over a year ago now. Episode number one, I was so nervous because uh, I've never like done a podcast before. 
this is episode number one i was so nervous that like i i hit my arm on my like glass of water and it was like it was full because i was obviously preparing for the episode so like i went to fill up my water literally the whole thing like if you're looking at audio that's how like literally to the top no and like the whole thing it just like shut down instantly and i was like that's it it's dead like so i had to message um my friend Ayush, he was the first episode. And I was like, yeah, sorry, I'll have to like postpone. And and I put I basically put the laptop under a fan. So I just like put it upside down under a fan for like three days. And luckily it turned on. And it's actually the same laptop I'm using to record now. So if you ever spill water in your laptop, do not try to turn it on straight away. Um if there's any value in this podcast, do like make it make sure it's this <laughs> it's this bit of bit of value. Do not turn it on straight away because it will fuck it like mess up. There are forums yeah. for this stuff, guys. Google it before you do anything. Honestly, that would have saved my butt. <laughs> Anyways, um, so I guess like you're in a very exciting phase at the moment with with your business wearing because obviously you're you're fundraising at the moment. So I guess before we get into that sort of growth stage that you're in right now, what is wearing and like yeah how how did it kind of start? How was how was the sort of growth process? Yeah, sure. So um, wearing is a digital wardrobe and personal styling app, um, and we essentially launched it in March of this year. So it's super super new to the market. We've been working on it only since end of June last year. Um, so total pandemic baby. Um, it basically came about as I was kind of getting to the end of, the, of my road uh, or my tether in banking. I'd been working there for about four and a half years. I was at Goldman Sachs in their consumer division in London. Um, and I just, just worked on like two big fashion tech IPOs, Stitch Fix and Farfetch. Um, and after that, it kind of got me thinking around how can we democratize personal styling? what are we doing to kind of harness the clothes that are lying idle in our current wardrobes? Like surely someone must have built that, you know, clueless um, tech, if anyone's watched that movie about 25 years ago. Um, I know I did as a little girl and I was just like, come on, like there has to be a way that we can personalize shopping, integrate it with what we already have, see some kind of digital inventory of that and then get styled. Um, And all of this in a kind of circular lens, right? Um, and I was then super privileged to go to something called Unleash, which is the global hackathon for the sustainable development goals. Um, and that was in December 2019. And that kind of took me through looking and collaborating with impact professionals at impact metrics and how we could kind of fit that into the app. Um, and then we decided to really make it something that only shows sustainable rental or pre-loved you know, shopping suggestions, but that also helps you kind of track and understand how your behavior um, can offset or contribute to your carbon uh, and water, you know, it was carbon and water footprint, sorry. So that's kind of how it all started. Um, and then I guess it's just been bootstrapped ever since. We went through a couple of accelerators, uh, fashion tech, you know, um, program called Startup Bootcamp and then Impact Hub on the sustainability side. And yeah, we just were super quick to go to market, very, very lean. We wanted to test the thing, you know, right from the get-go before investing too much money in it um, and trying to differentiate from existing players in the market. And then, yeah, we launched in February, end of Feb, early March, and our, our launch was covered by Vogue International in nine countries. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. So I guess what I would love to cover is, I suppose, like the idea was, so it was around sort of uh, better utilization of your existing wardrobe using technology. So I guess it was more around, well, it was around like styling things together, right? Like, was that, was that, exactly. is that correct? Exactly right. So I guess like, 
when when you do talk about it being lean and like trying to we're well, going to market as quickly as possible and bootstrapping how do you kind of like i guess introduce that concept and test test that concept in the market without actually building the thing that's such a good question honestly <laughs> i remember this time last year literally having finished the accelerator and being like how do we actually friggin' do this um, and so for us, it was actually really interesting because we thought, well, what's the closest thing to the app that we're going to build already that we can leverage in terms of tech at no cost whatsoever? Um, and in a great kind of, you know, training ground for feedback, for testing, for iterations, et cetera. And so what we did was we basically used Instagram. We created fake accounts um, for all our kind of focus group beta testers. We got them to take pictures of their clothes, post them up on their grid. And then basically we use stories and highlights to kind of style them for different occasions, suggest things to buy, et cetera, send them DMs of like, you know, items that, that would kind of help them fill their wardrobe gaps, et cetera. And then we got to see whether they would pay for that. Um, and it was just a super cool way of kind of interacting with our community, getting direct feedback without even having to kind of build a website or anything really. Um, and I was kind of a solo founder, non-technical. And so that was just a really good way of kind of doing it myself and having this hands-on understanding of what the market wanted and, and, and what features to potentially build once we once we headed down that road. I love I love this like sort of stories. It's really nice whenever I hear those sort of stories. I guess like more I practically, I'm just trying to visualize it. By the way, Instagram is a great tool for anyone uh, out there that wants to start like any business but that doesn't want to start a website. Like for for my business wing, we we were selling cards without actually having a website and like i know i know people like on the podcast before this girl um called annabelle she runs her own uh like custom like swimsuit line for for women and she had a similar thing where like she was just putting up concepts on her website uh, on her instagram just to get people like i guess hyped up about her product and people were just messaging her saying like can I buy this? Like, let me give, give me your PayPal. I'll, I'll buy it right now. And she was like, what people are like wanting to buy stuff on Instagram. That's so weird. But like that proved the concept very quickly. And I, the same thing like for you, but I guess more practically, how did you kind of, I guess, what was the funnel? How did you kind of attract those people? What did you say to them? What were you trying to sell, sell to them from the Instagram? How, like, what was the process basically? Yeah, so for us, actually, it was quite weird because we kind of started with this rather than doing kind of the, the typical, like, you know, landing page, send ads there, monitor, do A-B testing, et cetera. Um, we were really after really good quality feedback. That was kind of our number one KPI at the beginning rather than say, okay, we've been able to sell X, you know, to 250 women or we've gotten, you know, uh, these many signups, et cetera. So based on that KPI, we kind of decided, well, okay, let's chat to everyone that we know in the community on Instagram, get them to follow us. It was a closed like um, account back in the day. Give us feedback. Let's do this user testing with them, take them through the entire journey. Because actually for us, you know, 10 or 200 really solid customers who were going to 10x everything that we did was more important at that stage than saying, we've got a thousand you know, emails on a, on a mailing list. Um, and so based on that, we kind of then said, well, okay, guys, like, what, you know, what do you want to see? We're designing our website. Do you want to come? Um, I'm hosting some open houses in my flat. Do you want to come, you know, be some kind of brand ambassador, you know, early adopter? And people were actually really into that. Um, and it's absolutely amazing because I met some, you know, sustainable fashion bloggers who then became friends. They were micro-influencers and they've, they've grown a lot now. I met some journalists. 
And we kind of used that process of like getting really up and personal with our target demographic to then kind of build the website, um, you know, do proper testing with ads, getting traffic there, sort of understanding, you know, how to refine messaging, how to refine the proposition, et cetera. Um, and then what we did is basically build the MVP and we built it in like less than two months because we had all this feedback. We knew exactly what design was going to look like. Um, and we had, you know, talked to about 200 to 300 women. So it was quite a sample, quite a large sample of data. I guess and originally it starts from the Instagram. You were literally just like, I guess, messaging people how they can better utilize their yeah. their wardrobes and then put like posting that on their, on the stories. So like as a showcase to other people that want to get involved. Um, that's really cool. And I guess like from there, you invite people actually into your house is probably before COVID, right? Or like, what? <laughs> like, or like during, during the times when you were allowed to do it. And then like they, they really shaped the, the future and, and the website and everything you're offering, Absolutely. the MVP. The whole app, literally the app built as an MVP was completely designed um, by our community, which was really weird because we were like, look, you know, can we afford a UX designer who's going to cost us, you know, five to 10K to design this whole product? Um, etc and it was just me and my cto and we were like no you know what why don't we just do it ourselves actually that's our strength right branding is one of you know where the biggest strengths vis-a-vis kind of other players out there so yeah that's literally how it went that's really cool <laughs> yeah so how how did you kind of build the mvp yourselves like you you said you weren't a technical founder so how did you kind of build it i know you had all that feedback that's that's really valuable but i guess actually practically building it how, how did you do that? Yes, yeah, so I was actually very conscious, um, you know, when I was looking at kind of the road ahead and how we were going to raise, um, knowing that a lot of investors, obviously VCs, but, but a lot of angels don't like it when you outsource the tech. Um, and I knew immediately that that was kind of something that would be a massive issue uh, later down the line. And, you know, how do we onboard the pictures of your clothes? How do we crop and tag them? Like there are all these tech considerations. How do we build the basic machine learning algorithm that styles you, that shows you all these combinations. So it was a quite a complex product. Um, and that's why we said, okay, well, we're gonna test three main USPs with the MVP. We're gonna keep it super simple. We know we're gonna be embarrassed by it by the time we launch in Feb uh, of the next year. Doesn't matter, that's how it goes. And so I was really adamant to make sure that I met the co-founder really early on in my journey. And I took, he didn't end up becoming co-founder, he just became our CTO. Um, but he, he he took on equity. And so he came through two accelerators with me. So we had this kind of really hardcore, you know, working until kind of, you know, all hours of the night together, making sure that we really worked and clicked and that he understood the concept. Um, and because we had that time together, he had kind of already started thinking about the tech, about how we could hack this whole machine learning piece. How could we start testing, you know, really early on without engineers who cost 150K? How, how could we do that? Um, and so basically, luckily, we had a couple of months together and then we were able to build the MVP. He built it all himself from scratch, literally sat there and coded for like two months. <laughs> um, but yeah, because we'd spent, again, so much time with our early adopters, we kind of knew already what styling rules we were going to put in place. Like, how do we deal with people's style personas? Um, how do we kind of put all this in, in a you know, quasi-mathematical structure? Um, and just really use data and like web scraping, all these small things to kind of, again, hack it. And that's kind of what our CTO did. And then we used um, end of September 2020 all the way to kind of early March 2021 to basically refine the prototype, do more testing, get the community involved, 
build new features um, that were on our kind of product backlog, flagged as kind of one, two, three, four, five, six. Um, and then we launched with a bang. This does sound like, especially the MVP, which is meant to be like really simple, but because your product is just so complex, it it does sound like a really complicated thing where I guess like you're you're literally breaking down I guess styling preferences, color schemes, like what matches together, especially women's fashion, which is like more complicated than men's fashion. Um, just more, there's more option, right? This isn't even from a business perspective. It's just like, I'm just really interested. How did you kind of like translate all of those things into, I guess, mathematics and data? That's such a good question, honestly. Uh, I'm not saying we've nailed it. Uh, we're still early days, but I think, it was really weird because I kind of drew on uh, my banking career really to do this. So literally built an Excel sheet. We literally kind of went down every style persona. We identified six main ones, then decided, okay, what are the building blocks for these wardrobes? How do we identify wardrobe gaps? Um, and then literally kind of did like a sensitivity analysis on like what pieces go together, what things absolutely don't match. And that was, that was it. That's how we hacked it for the MVP. I'm just trying to really understand this. So you would, you'd find like different outfits on like Pinterest or like Google Images or whatever, and you and you in your mind you're like this is this is what works. Yeah. We'll base everything on 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 these like, I guess ideal or yeah. how do you how do you kind of call them like I guess hero products. I don't really know. No, what like you a canvas. You know, like this. Yeah. These are kind of you know um, most common combinations. So how do we replicate those with your existing clothes? Um, and on the flip side, actually, we started with what doesn't go together. Like, do we wear Crocs with jeans? Maybe. Do we wear them with an evening dress? Definitely not, unless you're <laughs> fat shirt and you love that, which is totally acceptable, by the way. <laughs> but you know what I mean? We, we tried to do it like very, very basic and just make sure that things that were mutually exclusive didn't appear together. Um, and the beauty of the mission of wearing is that we're, we're aiming to help you use things in all these different ways that you would never you would never have thought of. Um, and what maths does is that literally shows you empirically, hey, you might never have thought of combining these two things, but actually once you see it visually, it kind of works, you know? Um, so yeah, that's how we started. I wanted to move away from the product side, an AI that can basically power alternative ways that you can wear existing products and clothes in your wardrobe already, massively creative. But I wanted to move away from that because there's a lot of amazing ideas out there and I know a lot of you guys want to start a business and you have an amazing idea, but the actual you know, commercialization and monetization of the business is really tricky with certain businesses. It's not very sort of profound, it's not, it's not clear. And with Bianca's business, that was the case, right? Like it's an amazing idea, of course, but actually trying to monetize that because there's so many different ways is is really tricky and it depends a lot on users as well. So I wanted to ask her, firstly, you know, what's the monetization strategy now? What's the business model now? And what was it before? Where is it going to go into the future? And also because it's so dependent on users, how would she kind of gather those users and then monetize from them in the future? Because that's a whole story in itself. I know all businesses depend on some you know, level of activity from users, but with, with certain businesses, they need some sort of a critical mass before they can even turn that monetization tap on. And yeah, that's why I thought it was so interesting to talk to, talk to her about it because I know a lot of you guys struggle with this problem. So we talk about it now. Yeah, sure. And no, I think it's, it's such a good question. And honestly, it's something that you struggle with a lot, right? Because 
if you're kind of like me and you know you started your career when WeWork was doing this whole kind of raise millions, crazy valuations, don't really need to be breaking even or actually making lots of money, um, you've kind of got it in your head that actually, you know, if you're building a B2C brand, it's all about scale, right? And we can monetize later once we've kind of got, you know, half a million users. But the reality is, you know, obviously things have shifted in the industry and, and it's very hard to raise funds when, as you said, you, you haven't got that nailed. So what we did in all honesty and transparency is we made a lot of mistakes um, and that's absolutely fine. And don't forget that you can always pivot, right? You can change things up. You know, the first thousand users are not going to be bad at you if you decide, hey, like us, we started with a freemium version that was just a subscription for certain tiers or certain paid features within the app. Um, it was working really well. We were generating revenues since we launched in March, basically. Um, but then we kind of realized as we had these weekly catch-ups with our with our users, we call them Wednesday Wines, um, that basically actually a lot of users were not using the app so much because they couldn't access it. And they were kind of saying to us, hey, guys, you said you were you know democratizing personal styling. Well, I can't really afford this. I really want to use the app more. Um, and so it became apparent that actually it was hurting retention, right? So in our, whole in our whole fundraising strategy, we said, well, you know what? Retention and engagement is much more important than money at this, at this stage, right? As long as we can pay our, our staff, we can kind of keep bootstrapping. Um, and so what ended up happening is we basically lifted the payroll now and we've pivoted the business model to kind of taking that monetization piece off the end user and putting it on partners. So what that means is basically we have a whole affiliate you know, links system on wearing on the product recommendation section where you can buy sustainable rental or pre-loved um, and we take a cut of sales of that and then we also said well hang on you know the whole point of a digital wardrobe is for you to enjoy everything from a to z right the whole user journey needs to be covered so then we thought well okay how do we incorporate caring partners you know to help you ethically dry clean ethically donate repair mend repurpose etc um, and so then we went on to kind of partner with a lot of amazing, um, you know, people in the ecosystem, which is another way to get traction and downloads um, and brand awareness for free. And basically, we also take a cut of sales on that. So we kind of pivoted, you know, the, the whole premise of the business into something that actually makes people use the app more for longer, come to it for different reasons. Um, and it's really all about that kind of breadth of service that doesn't necessarily mean you're paying more to build more features. You can kind of use what you've already got, um, and it, and it kind of helps people come back to it. That's really cool. So I get so you shifted away from I guess the freemium model to more I guess an aggreg aggregator sort of business model where you're aggregating loads of different I guess third party services that you can charge a a commission on if they get any sales. That's really interesting, and I guess like in the initial stages, this is kind of what we're battling at the moment with with Wing actually is. Um, we're like we're already kind of generating revenue with initial purchases, but it's it's kind of one-off sales. It's not recurring revenue, but obviously they're still they're still using the product. So, and you mentioned something really interesting there when you you prioritized uh, like retention and gain like like gaining users more than the monetization bit, and like I guess at what stage should you be more focused about monetization rather than growing that user base if that makes sense like is there a point in time when you shift or is it a slow is it a gradual progression because like as you said before like platforms such as like uber WeWork, whatever 
they've they've been concentrating on just like growing users indefinitely and then once they get to the stage where literally no one can compete with them then they can like increase prices and that that's the point where they can make a profit like uber still hasn't made a profit right so like i'm really interested i guess what what is that stage where you can shift to monetization yeah I think it's a really tough question. Um, and honestly, I don't think we have the answer to that. So what I would say though is, and we've been doing this a lot with our advisors, um, some of them helped launch Depop in the UK, have you know exited multiple businesses. They all say to focus and choose your North Star metrics. Um, and so I guess for us, that's definitely kind of weekly active users, daily active users, time spent on the app, um, and also just looking at the activities, right? Because wearing has a really interesting long-term data play because if we can aggregate anonymous data around how are people styling things is there a discrepancy between gen z's and millennials like we can then help brands become leaner um, by only creating products that people want to buy giving them styling insights so they can you know sell directly to customer in a better way more targeted marketing etc so when you put that into context and you really look at your long-term roadmap, your long-term commercialization strategy, then actually you see that maybe doing exactly what you just suggested is the best way forward. So I think for us, you know, we've just set milestones. So we've said to ourselves, look, 100,000 users, that's our aim. 100,000 monthly active users. Um, and then kind of go down from there, look at what people are wanting from us, what can we build? And based off that, we can then try and focus on monetization. So let me give you a concrete example. Um, we've now seen and heard back from a lot of our users saying, hey, I want to be able to integrate some kind of marketplace here. If that's the case and you get to 100,000 users, that's when you turn it on. Um, and, and it makes sense. So that's, that's kind of what we're thinking about at the moment, looking at borrowing, swapping, selling, reselling. Um, these are all really, really interesting pro propositions, but we need some kind of critical mass before we can get there. And that's another thing that's really interesting that I'd love to talk to you about for the last like five minutes or so is that critical mass is so important to, I guess, the longevity of your business and a lot of other business models that exist when you need like users, right? And that's where I guess aggregators, marketplaces, freemium models, they only make sense if you've got like a lot of users. So I guess you're in a stage where you were bootstrapping for so long and you didn't have a marketing budget or like if you did, it was probably a very small one. So I guess like, how did you kind of 500 pounds a month? Is that what, is that what you yeah. said? So how do you kind of balance, how do you kind of balance the two? Mm. And I guess for people listening, actually 500 pounds, they might think that's quite a lot, but if you're, if you, if you actually like dig deep and see what other brands are spending on stuff like this, it's like way more than 500 pounds a month. Um, doesn't really get you that that far no, i agree I agree. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but because like i know a lot of people listening are like oh 500 pounds is quite a lot but like a lot of these especially like customer centric brands mm -hmm. not b2b you're like focusing just on b2c like it's crazy how much they're spending um but anyway how do you kind of bootstrap but also gain users at the same time because gaining users is is you know the critical there's the, you know critical for your business but you're also bootstrapping at the same time. So did you have to go through kind of alternative strategies mm. to attract users? And I guess like, how do you kind of overcome that? Again, such a good question. Um, I think it's also really tricky when you're bootstrapping and you've got this kind of like tech build um, overhead hanging over you. Even if you've got a CTO, you still need to kind of hire devs in and out to kind of support, et cetera, um, which is really difficult. 
And so you're absolutely right. There's this kind of catch 22 of like, these are all the cool things we want to build. Doesn't make sense though, if we don't have critical mass in terms of users. So I guess we did a couple of things. Um, first off, we experimented a lot with those 500 pounds a month that we did. And I think that is absolutely crucial because what you don't want to do is get to a point where you're like, okay, raise 150K, I'm going to put 50K into marketing and my cost of customer acquisition is like up here. So what we did is we, we tested and tested messaging, videos, you know, images, like all of this stuff to make sure that when we were putting out ads, they were working really well for us. Um, so our CAC at the moment is literally two pounds, which means whatever we spend, we've got, you know, a really, really good amount of downloads for, you know, very cheap, relatively speaking in the industry. So I'd say number one, really test, 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 keep learning, keep refining. Um, and then we kind of put in place this whole strategy of like, whose podcast do we get on <laughs> um you know what newsletters do we sponsor how do we kind of you know interact with the whole ecosystem around us not for like hey can you just post something about us but like really meaningful partnerships um so for instance for earth we earth day earth week fashion revolution week um, we did a whole pop-up in london we partnered with like Reef fashion who gave us you know bags that we could help kind of, you know, ethically donate clothes through our users, um, et cetera. We did this whole kind of educational campaign. And that stuff really helps when you really mean it and you're doing things around a specific event, you're adding expertise, you're, you're kind of doing these amazing marketing loops with other companies. You get a lot of downloads. We got about 10,000 downloads in that week because of all these awesome partners that we were highlighting, you know, and they were highlighting us, et cetera. Um, and then again, I would also say that depending on your business, if you're D2C or B2C, B2C sorry, um, getting and paying for a little bit of PR can be really beneficial. So for us, for instance, the first thing that we did for our launch week was say, okay, find an amazing PR. We won't pay her a lot of money. We'll pay a or him, sorry. Ours is female because we're an all-female team. Uh, <laughs> but um, basically pay her a little bit of money and just make sure that every month initial in specifically in those initial phases you've got some support because it really helps with social proof it really helps kind of transform your landing page um you know from zero to 100 real quick and that was really worth the investment um because once you've said hey i was in harper's bazaar last week vogue covered our launch um you really get that recognition that you need to sort of go through these free channels um, and then again, a lot of organic stuff can be done, as you were saying, through Instagram, messaging people, doing IG lives, collaborating with them um, on other levels. And, and, and that's kind of a mixture of, of everything that we did. Wow, that's amazing. I, I love stuff like that because the easy thing to do is be just spend loads of money on marketing, but you have to work a lot harder for, I guess, more organic. And if you're engaging with the audience and stuff like that, and, and obviously the, the PR the PR person as well, like... Yeah, it, that those those things. Even if you don't, even if you have a large marketing budget, a lot of the time they actually do better for you. In a lot of cases, you get you get way more engagement with those. Even if it is a smaller user base, those users are way more engaged than someone that just came across you on Facebook ads. For sure. And sorry, I just wanted to add to that that you know the biggest thing in my opinion to focus on is organic because when you're fundraising. If you're saying to an investor, hey, you need to pump loads of money into my company so that I can generate more downloads, and then I have a leaky bucket, you know, that, that, that's a really, really dangerous kind of path to go down. Um, and so, for instance, I would personally kind of every week have a feedback session with users that were inactive. 
or that had kind of dropped off after a week to make sure that we could win them back. We could figure out what was going on. All of these things drive what I was talking about in the beginning, which is loyalty and people who can, a smaller group of people, but who really like 10x what you're doing. Bianca, we're going to have to wrap it up there. It was such a pleasure talking to you about wearing it. It's so, so amazing. How can people stay in touch with you and your business going into the future? Sure, guys. So first off, download us um, in the App Store or in Google Play. Um, if not, follow me on Instagram, DM me anytime with questions. I'm super happy to support any other entrepreneurs because I know it's really hard. Um, and the wearing Instagram is at wearing, W-H-E-R-I-N-G underscore underscore. Thank you so much, Bianca, for coming on. I'm going to have to wrap it up there. Check out all her links um, that she just mentioned. And yeah, I'm sure we'll chat soon. Thank you so much, Bianca. Thanks for having me, Sina. It was so much fun. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. It was such a pleasure talking to Bianca. If you did enjoy, please be sure to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. And as a thank you, I'll give you a shout out in the next episode. It'll be in a few weeks time, but I'll get to it, I promise you. So thanks so much for listening again. You can catch us on Instagram as well. That's where all the new episodes get announced and all that good stuff along with a few other value bites for you. So thanks so much for listening again. I'll catch you in the next episode.